one today coming. So uh, good luck with that. Um, I love today, I love our one service Sundays where we bring together first service and second service. And uh, thank you to Samuel and crew for putting together the worship service. And uh, just love the opportunity to worship together as a church. Can't do it every week, but I look forward to the three or four times that we're able to do it every year. Tonight, 5 p.m., we have a new worship gathering called Sabbath End, and you're invited to come and be a part of that. Our next installment of Discover First Christian Church will be on Wednesday night, October the 4th at 6 p.m., and we'd love for you to sign up for that. Your bulletin and take notes tells you how to pull that off. And then I am really excited about this, a brand new thing around here. Our next Connections event is going to be Donut Sunday. You can't go wrong with a Donut Sunday. It's going to be October 15th from 9 to 10.30 and grab a donut and connect with uh, folks. Many have asked, how do I get those new member, new attender FCC coffee mugs? I don't even have one yet. You can buy them beginning that day for $7. Our cost, we want to get them in your hands. So that will take place on October 15. We've got Reload for Men this Tuesday at 6 a.m. And I need to say a word about Fan the Flame. Last night, I think it was the 10th or 11th Fan the Flame concert the biggest one yet. Um, I was a little out of control with my phone. I, I will admit that on Facebook, but I was loving life. Uh, Michael W. Smith at Braden Auditorium. So um, it was just a blessing. Randy Anderson, I think, is in the house. Thank you, Randy and Ann, for making that happen. Um, just absolutely loved the evening. And um, I looked around, and I was uh, one of the younger people there. So it just reminds me that um, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. 34 years, Michael W. Smith has been uh, making a difference through worship and through uh, music and uh, just an absolutely awesome evening. Well, we're in week three of our four-week Tell Me More series, and I know we've got some visitors that are here today just because of apple and pork, and we're really glad that you're here. We're glad that you're worshiping with us. Many of you are from out of state. Um, we are part of about a 20-church effort to try to tackle some of the tough topics that people have about the faith. In the first week, we looked at what happens after I die. And the two big takeaways from week one were we need to put our house in order. We need to help our family because we're all going to die someday. And, and some of us, sadly, it's probably going to happen this year. So have those conversations. Reconcile those relationships. Put together a funeral file. Help your family. But the most important thing that you can do, we learned in week one, is to put your spiritual house in order. That's number one. And that's the most important thing. You don't even have to hear that sermon to walk away and say, you know, I really need to get right with Jesus if you're not there. So that was week one. Last week we tackled the idea, why do people do bad things? Why is there evil in the world? And even here in central Illinois, you, you can just pick up the newspaper and you see just awful things happening. And, and you say, why is that happening? And the answer is really simple, sin. It wasn't God's original plan. God didn't want it to play out like that. But the answer to the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the only answer that makes any sense. How do we overcome that negativity. Well, this week, as you saw from the bumper video, is the idea, why are Christians hypocrites? 
And so we've continued the man on the street interviews from about six weeks ago at the Decatur celebration. I thought about cutting it this week. Samuel said, no, we need to show it. So check out these man on the street interviews. Why are Christians hypocrites? It's easy to use your religion as an excuse to hurt other people. I think they're trying to like convince themselves that they're a good person. Well, in reality, they're doing the same things that everyone else is doing. When they see somebody from church out drinking or behaving erratically or something, they would show they might act one way in church and another way out of church. Christians really don't look at the Bible a lot as they used to. I believe that Jesus was real. However, I also believe that Jesus was anti-religion and he said that he wanted man to establish a relationship, a personal level relationship, not a group, not a cult, which is what Christianity is becoming or has become. Because Christians say they're going to do all these nice things in the world and they go on, they don't. They don't live up to what they're going to say. So what's the problem? The problem is this, Christians are hypocrites. And I want to stand before you today and I want to just confess, I'm a hypocrite. And if you're a Christian and you're being honest with yourself, you're a hypocrite as well. And that's not a good thing and we shouldn't celebrate it. But the reality is, we're trying to be like Jesus. And I miss the mark all the time. I, I wish it wasn't the case, but that's the case. So what is a hypocrite? By the way, we do have our grade schoolers and some of our preschoolers that are with us today. So welcome. We're glad that you're here today. Let me give you a dictionary definition of, of what a hypocrite is. Merriam-Webster's dictionary would say that a hypocrite is someone who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion. And a hypocrite could be somebody who, who acts in contradiction to his stated beliefs or feelings. So one way that I might be a hypocrite is I might stand before you and say, that, you know, Jesus wants me to love one another. We read the scripture for, for communion. Greater love has no one than this. He lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And then I leave here and I go to apple and pork and I'm yelling at people left and right. Because they're cutting me off here and they, I'm not going to get my pulled pork sandwich quick enough because somebody cut in line and I'm just, I, I, I'm mean. That would be being a hypocrite. And sadly in my life, probably more than likely in your life, there's times that you've left your house with the greatest of intentions, and before you knew it, it went south in a hurry. Maybe that drive to work just did you in. I was trying to get from O'Hare Airport in Chicago back to Clinton for Rooted a couple weeks ago on a Monday night, and I'm telling you, if I lived in Chicago, I think I would die of a heart attack. The traffic was killing me. I'm screaming at truckers that I don't even know. Why are you in the left lane? Uh, and I had to just chill out and realize I'm screaming at people I don't know because I'm trying to hurry back and get to a discipleship gathering. <laughs> Hypocrisy. Why are Christians hypocrites? I'm going to rattle through this pretty quickly. This is not an exhaustive list, but I think one reason that Christians are one reason that hypocrites are Christians is because sin is fun. 
We talked about that last week. Sin is enjoyable. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have an issue with it, even for followers of Jesus. Christians are hypocrites because culture promotes priorities that are in direct conflict with Christianity. Now, that's not the mean preacher pounding the pulpit. That's just a reality. Culture promotes priorities that are in conflict with Christianity. I think a huge one is spiritual complacency, especially those of us that have been around Jesus for a really long time, decades. We've been around Jesus a really long time, and we forget that the battle's ongoing. It's every day. And I shared it earlier, but I think the number one reason that Christians are hypocrites is because we're trying to be like Jesus. And he was perfect. He was without sin. And so we have set a goal I can't achieve on this side of eternity. Now, should we give up and throw in the towel? Absolutely not. We will miss the mark. And so at this point, maybe you say, well, if every Christian is a hypocrite in one way or another, is it really that big of a deal? Is it really something we need to even worry about? Can we just have another sermon on love or grace or forgiveness? And the answer is yes, we're going to have that sermon next week. But let's look at first what Jesus had to say about hypocrisy. Jesus had a ton to say about hypocrisy. I grabbed two scriptures from the book of Matthew. One's a parable. One is Jesus like, man, he didn't get his coffee that morning, and he is fired up in Matthew 23. Let's start with Matthew chapter 21, Jesus and the parable of the two sons. Short parable. Verse 28. It says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. The son answered, I will not go. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the second son and he said the same thing. The second son answered, I will, sir. But then he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, the first, they answered. Then Jesus said to them, some of the harshest words in Scripture, I tell you the truth, he's speaking to religious leaders. He's speaking to people that seemingly have it all put together. It looks kind of like you and me at times in our lives. Here's what he said, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. You did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying simply, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Bottom line. It's easy to talk a good game. That's a huge challenge for the world in which we live. I hear it all the time. Christians talk a good game at 9.30 on Sunday, you ought to see them at 9.30 on Monday. You ought to see them at the restaurant following church on Sunday morning. And so verse 31 is kind of that key verse, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors, the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Talk is cheap. So Jesus says, we got to have more than just talk. Flip over to Matthew chapter 23 if you have your Bible open. 
And because it is a youth Sunday, and because we do have a lot of youngsters with us today, I'm not going to read this chapter, but you should read this chapter. But let me give you the big idea from Matthew chapter 23. It's a tough, tough chapter to digest. And here's the the key phrase that you're going to see in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you. And again, he's given it to the religious leaders of the day. He's given it to the people that have been to seminary. He's given it to the people. Many of them have memorized parts of the Torah, the law. They've got it all figured out in their minds. And he is on a roll. The one verse I want to hone in on is verse 28. Here's what verse 28 says. Let's put it up on the screen. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He says, on the outside, you got it all put together, but on the inside, not so much. Hypocrisy and wickedness. He said, it's not acceptable. And at this point, when we read Matthew chapter 23, I would draw this conclusion, it's no wonder they killed him. It's no wonder they crucified him. Harsh, harsh words for lifelong God-fearers. People who woke up every day and looked in the mirror and said, wow, you're something special. And he says, woe to you. What's on the outside isn't enough. It's all about what's on the inside. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this reality that Christians are hypocrites? Do do we just throw in the towel and say, woe is me? I like what Rich Mullins, which by the way, this week was the 20th anniversary of the death of Rich Mullins. By far, by far, um, one, one of the great musicians of our time for more than music reasons, theologian, preacher. Here's what he said about hypocrites. He said, people tell me all the time the church is full of hypocrites. He said, that's not true. We always have room for more. Um, And he was right. And he was right. So what do we do with this? Three challenges for you this morning. Number one is this. Be honest with yourself. You have a battle before you. Now, I want to tell you, I read some of you As I said that I'm a hypocrite, and if you're being honest with yourself, you're a hypocrite. And some of you kind of pushed back a little bit. Your neck got a little stiff. And you kind of thought to yourself, I I don't like the sound of that. I don't appreciate the way that that rattles off your tongue so quickly and so freely. Here's what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 7. Most of us have memorized Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Anybody got it? Do not judge, or you will be judged. We've memorized that as kids, especially when we were trying to get away with something that we knew we were going to be rebuked for. Well, we stop reading after verse 1, and Jesus really gives us great encouragement in this whole idea that the most important person in your world when it comes to sin should be you. Here's what he says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. 
First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so we have to be honest with ourselves, and if you haven't figured it out, speck is a little tiny little splinter type thing, and a plank is a big old piece of wood. And so what Jesus is saying, why are you worried about the little thing in somebody else's life when you might have a big old thing in your life? I heard the story of a couple that moved to a new neighborhood, and the first morning in their new home, they're eating breakfast, and the young woman sees her neighbor hanging her wash out to dry. Now, th this illustration may not connect with some of you, especially some of the younger folks. Used to, not everybody had a drying machine, or they didn't use it all the time. They would take their wet laundry, and they'd hang it out, and they would let nature, they'd let the wind dry their laundry. And so she looks at this laundry that's being hung out by her neighbor, and she says, her laundry sure isn't very clean. She evidently doesn't know what she's doing. Maybe she needs better laundry soap. And her husband looks at her and just kind of shakes his head. Silent, though. Morning after morning after morning, this activity repeats itself. They're sitting, they're drinking coffee, they're looking out their window, the neighbor is hanging the laundry out, and she is just incensed at how dirty this laundry is. Well, about a month later, the woman was surprised to see a brilliantly clean wash on the line, and she said to her husband, well, look there. Someone finally caught up with her. Someone finally taught her how to correctly do laundry. And her husband just shook his head and sipped his coffee and said, I got up early this morning and I cleaned our windows. <laughs> I know it's cheesy. But here's the point. Is your window a little dirty? Is your window, spiritually speaking, a little dirty? Are you too caught up with everyone else to forget about looking inside yourself? Is your window a little dirty? First thing we have to do is be honest with ourselves. Secondly, we have to be transformed and reject the way of the world. And I want to give you two scriptures pretty quickly this morning. One's familiar, one maybe not so much. Romans chapter 12 gives us a great picture of what this looks like, where, where Paul is telling us that our lives are actually acts of worship. Too many times we think worship only happens at 8.15 or 10.45, or in this case at 9.30. It only happens with an organ or a piano or a guitar or drums or the keyboard, whatever it may be. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. Your life is an act of worship. Here's what he says. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. And, and it's really simple here. He says, don't try to be like everybody else. Don't try to look like the world. Don't try to conform to the world, but instead be transformed. In this summer, we spent a lot of time, four weeks, looking at the spiritually formed life. It's an intentional way to try to look more like Jesus 
and less like everyone else. Flip over real quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, we learn that Paul says that my choices in life, they matter. Your choices in life, they matter. And here's what he says in these three verses, three short verses. He says, be careful then how you live. Not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so it's right up there on the screen. Be very careful, he says. Be wise. Make wise choices. Grade schoolers that are here today, preschoolers that are here today, be wise in the choices that you make. Make wise choices, but understand what is God calling me to do? How is God calling me to live my life? Number one, we need to be honest with ourselves. Number two, we need to seek this transformed life. And number three, we have to be intentional in this whole arena of hypocrisy. In this whole arena of saying one thing and doing something else, we have to choose to be different. I grew up in the church. I remember days like this when they canceled children's church and I was five and I came to church and, um, you know, I just, that was our life. It's just what we did. But I got to confess to you that for much of my growing up years, I was really afraid of being labeled with that odd for God label. I didn't want to be odd for God. I didn't want to be different than everybody else. I didn't want to go to school in Champaign and have the kids in the corner say, well, he's one of them holy rollers. He's one of those crazy kind of people. And if I had one thing that I could say to that, that I wish I could go back in time, I just wish I could go back and be a much nicer person, be a much kinder person, be much more of a person that just loved people, especially the unlovely, especially the people whose lives really are not enjoyable. So to the students that are here, to the children that are here today, um, be intentional in how you live your lives. To the adults who are here today, be intentional in how you live your lives. Here's what Peter says. Peter reminds us that every single choice that we make ultimately matters. And hopefully it matters in a good way, but it can impact in a very negative way. Here's what he says in 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. How does Peter know this? Because he's been at war. Because he's been in a battle. By the time that he has written this letter, 30 years more than likely have passed from when he watched Jesus die on the cross and be buried in the tomb and rise again on the third day. And he's seen persecution, and he's seen people say, that's enough for me, I'm done with this Christianity thing. And he's seen heroes of the faith rise up in great and mighty ways. And he understands it's a war. He goes on, I love this, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. 
live such good lives. Maybe that's what you take with you today. If you're a follower of Jesus, just those simple four words, live such good lives. And when you're around annoying people, let's be honest, there's annoying people in our lives. That they're there. Maybe that resonates through your mind. I want to live a such good life. And when you find yourself being led into temptation, you say, yeah, I want to live a such good life. In verse 11, Peter says that we are aliens and strangers in this world. And that's kind of, a, kind of an odd picture to get, kind of an odd image. I'm an a- what do you mean I'm an alien? Here's what he means. He means this world is not your home. And so when tragedies happen, when brothers and sisters in Christ let you down, when people that you thought you could trust the most fail you, you can be reminded, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Words that inspire us to live a life that will ultimately bring glory to God. So let me wrap this up, bottom line. Every week I have a bottom line. Today I've got two. If you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe at one time you were really living for Jesus and something happened and now you're not, and you're down on the church and you're down on preachers and you're down on leaders and you're down on the institution of the church, here's my challenge for you. If you're not following Jesus today, Don't let my hypocrisy, don't let our hypocrisy keep you from salvation with Jesus. I've never understood that. Christians are hypocrites, so I'm going to spend eternity without Jesus. And if that doesn't 100% make sense, find me after the service. Find one of our staff, one of our elders after the service. Are Christians hypocrites? You better believe it. Is that a good thing? No, it's not. Is that a reason to spend eternity without the Lord? Absolutely not. And then here's number two. If you are a Christ follower, will you leave here today with a desire to live a such good life? Not so you can get the such good life merit badge. That's not what we're talking about here. But so that ultimately God is glorified. But your life can truly make a difference in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the chance to gather. Many of us are worshiping with people that we normally don't on Sundays. And we just thank you for this opportunity. But we thank you most of all for Jesus and the hope that he brings us. And it's uh, my prayer, God, that through all of this, we'll just have that desire to be the best we possibly can be for your glory. And that if we're not followers of Jesus, that'll change today. That'll change this week. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me. And I'm sorry that I fail you. I'm sorry that we fail you. But we thank you for your grace. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. And so we're